Yo guys, welcome back to Men's Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Today was a great episode. I was joined by Tariq Kopstock. Tariq is a really good brown belt out of Frontline Academy in Norway. And guys, he is... You all know him, you all love him. He's created the Tariq Plata. Really good fucking variation to Kimura where your leg is in conjunction with your arm. And you're able to hit pivot and apply a lot of pressure. I fucking hate getting Tariq Plata'd. And I can, I can thank him for all the pain and agony I felt when my training partners put me into it. <laughs> now, with that being said, I had a really good conversation with Tariq. He was a really cool dude. We had a great conversation about chaining moves, training modality, and when he first started seeing success with the Tariq Plata. But guys, I'm not going to spoil the rest of it. Go and check out the episode. And of course, follow Tariq and Frontline Academy uh, on Instagram. There'll all the stuff be in the description below. So with that said, let's get into the episode. of the Humanity Jiu-Jitsu podcast. Speaking of 83, what weight are you, Tariq, real quick? Oh, right now I'm 85, probably around 86, something there. Oh, man, why, why weren't you 83? Because then that could tie in with the episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, guys, this man is a man who needs no introduction. Uh, Tariq Hofstak, what is up, Tariq? Everything's good here, thank you. And uh, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Mm-hmm. So I do this. Pleasure to have you. I do. You pretty. I'm pretty sure this is the most common question you get asked. So I'll just get out of the way. Like, when did when did you first like see like uh, success with the Tarika Plata? Like when you first started like uh, messing around with it, and when did you first realize, oh yeah, this is a thing and this works? Uh, it was around 2015. I started messing around with it. I, I would say, like before that, I was always doing the the Kimura, and I was getting into positions where I I could set it up, but I didn't know about it. Um, I was watching some old footage here uh, from juvenile Europeans, uh, 2013 and 14, I guess, somewhere around there. Uh, and then um, I was looking at it and I was thinking like, damn, I could have set it up there. I could have set it up there, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, I started to see it around, yeah, at that time, 2015. And then. It was perhaps one of the first competition was Gothenburg Open, um, which is not like it wasn't a big competition. It was a very uh, IBJF was trying something new. They were trying to put a BJJ competition in uh, Sweden for the first time. And to be honest, it was just terribly timed because um, I think most people couldn't come uh, at that time. And then uh, so it was kind of like a fun pushed compressed event where you had gi and no gi on the same day and uh, weight and open weight on the same day so i was going four divisions uh on the same day and in a sense you know like this is a great time to just get in as much fights and, and experience as possible because it doesn't take much more than just showing up and rolling and rolling and rolling and changing from the gi to the no gi and all mm-hmm. of that uh, and so uh, that's when I really started to see, uh, or that's when I started to to get it in competitions because I got it like three or four times there. Uh, of course, still not refined. It was very like clunky. Uh, some of my transitions, some of the setups, uh, and so uh, that was earlier in 2015, and then later I would think it was yeah November Swedish Open. Uh, I started to really get a nicely, how should I say, uh, set up to the mm. position. Uh, and so in Swedish Open, I got it like perhaps eight times, something like that. 
which was really fun because uh, at that time nobody knew really how to defend it or what it was. And so uh, definitely a huge advantage <laughs> coming into the division there. Ah, man. Adil, what is your favorite way to set it up anyway? Like uh, your favorite setup to get, get into it? So uh, my favorite, I would say, is actually double under. Um, when people are attacking the double under, I get the underhook on one side, and then I can start pushing the head away and start working my way up. Uh, the reason why I love that one so much is because it's really hard to stop it once I got my grips, mm. in a sense, right? Uh, whereas the one I actually get most of the time is the one from the knee shield guard. Um, and that one is kind of like, you know, you, you can set it up and you will get into the positions, but it's not like a, a high chance that you will actually hold on to the position. So you have to you have to be able to transition to other things as well and start attacking uh, other submissions, not just uh, Tariq Plata. Mm. Uh, guys, speaking of which, uh, Tariq's instructional about the Tariq Plata in, from BJ Fanatics will be in the description below if you want to check it out. You. If you didn't already, because last week it was in like daily deals, so if you didn't take advantage then, I think all hope is lost for you, but what do I know? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, one thing I'm curious about each of my guests, Tariq, is like, um, how did you first get into jiu-jitsu? Because I love the answer, because... Each and every answer is different, so I love hearing this. Okay, yeah, so it's not like super uh, fancy or anything like super epic history, but uh, (laughs) I was going to say I was doing judo uh, to begin with when I was, I think I was 13 till I was 15, I was doing judo, and one of my friends was doing jiu-jitsu at school, or classmates. And then he was like always telling me, yeah, you should come to my my place or we're going to train only Nevaza, the ground game, you know, all of that. And uh, to be honest, like already in judo, I was really fan of the groundwork. Mm. And so, um, of course, I didn't know much at that time. It was just a lot of scrambles, a lot of moving. Uh, and the closest like experience that I had from before earlier in my childhood was uh, breakdancing. And so uh, for me, it seemed very natural. And so uh, I went to uh, Frontline Academy with my uh, classmates. And it was kind of like a fun, how should I say, uh, experience because we, we didn't go to a class. We went to, we went to the mat when it was open. I think it was a little bit earlier in the day or something like that, right after school. And then we went there and then uh, the guy there was like, ah, yeah, sure, just use the mats, it's fine. <laughs> and and, and uh, it was me and uh, and uh, my friend that used to train uh, jiu-jitsu before us and uh, Alex, um, another friend of mine who who uh, didn't really have much experience with jiu-jitsu, but he had rolled a little bit with his older brother, uh, mm. <laughs> which is also a funny thing because his brother was like three times his weight at that time. <laughs> and and uh, the first thing he learned was the like, heel hooks. And, and it was, yeah, it was a lot of crazy stuff, but, but yeah, uh, you could imagine we had some <laughs> slight problems when we started going to the classes regularly. <laughs> uh, and so I kind of like got hooked at that point, but I literally heel hooked. <laughs> I'm sorry. I when, sure. I see a, when I see a pun, I got to go for it, man. Oh yeah. No, really uh, and so, uh, Especially like with Tete, uh, Eduardo Tete Rios, he's, he's such a welcoming, warm-hearted guy, you know. 
and and uh, for me, I think that the environment was something that I really fell in love with. It was uh, it still had the discipline and the respect that judo did, but in a sense, it was more warmer and more brotherly than uh, than the judo that I had. And uh, yeah, like mm. after a while, I just started going there every day, and then <laughs> I started going to the adult classes as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I imagine that was fun when you're still a kid and you're some in adults and they're they're getting so fucking pissy like you know, oh, no, no. by a kid. <laughs> it didn't start that way, just to say like, like But it eventually got there, let's be it, real. Yeah, yeah, it got there eventually, but but like at the, in the beginning it was don't get submitted and then it was don't get passed, you know? And then mm. it was maybe get a sweep and then then we're talking maybe submissions later on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, since he brought up judo guys uh what's it Tariq has a great video about was it maroto senagi i don't know how to say yeah, the person, yeah. uh, on his channel just there so if you want to check out his channel there's another shameless plug that'll be in the description too <laughs> thank you thank you and it's free by the way <laughs> yeah so if if you don't want to buy the instructional for some reason if you're just a jackass you can just go on his youtube channel which is just as good just as good <laughs> Yeah. No, legit, guys. He has a great video up there, just there. The one about uh, fake guard build to the ankle pick. Uh, just a quick plug. I, I told him this already before the episode in case you think, oh, you're just, you're just, uh, what's it, sucking up to him. Like, that guy's legit. It'll increase your understanding of it because I never fucking got the, what's it called, fake pull to the ankle pick before I saw that video. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, the funny part about that one is um, in the wild, like, I would do it a lot. In training so i would always like fake guard pull to ankle pick and then a lot of the people at my gym would start to see it coming you know and then they like you could anticipate it more more or less and so uh and in the end there i ended up doing a fake guard pull to fake ankle pick to guard pull <laughs> what why would you just, just pull guard <laughs> so you would you would see my you would see my leg coming up like a pistol squat going back for the ankle pick and then back again to the guard pull because i failed the ankle pick <laughs> what uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, oh you know levels to it <laughs> there's layers to this <laughs> now that like speaking of which like i know you said you 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 brought that up like oh don't get submitted don't get passed didn't get a sweep and all that is there anything else like you struggled with most in your early days like any just move concept that wasn't sinking in for you initially uh well i think like in general like my perspective of techniques changed over time uh, in a sense, like I would look at arm bars uh, from different scenarios very differently. Like, uh, let's say I would learn arm bar from close guard, and then I would go to mount, and I would learn arm bar from mount. But I would I wouldn't like see the similarities in those two positions. But I think later on, as you go, you will understand that the, this situation and the techniques that you can do in both situations aren't that different. You know. And, and uh, when you start looking at uh, techniques more of a, how should I say, wholesome way instead of more separate, that's when I feel like you can be better at improvising and better at being creative uh, for new solutions and, and trying to, to paint a bigger picture than just like, you know, narrow pathways. Mm. No, because if you do have a good understanding of how to do it and where the potential potential for a move is you can sort of pull one out of your ass and like a scramble if potentially who Basically. knows 
Like, like we all know those people who can like pull just just pull a submission out of nowhere. Like, say mid scramble, they'd like have you in a fucking triangle. Then you're like, how do, in the tit twist and fuck did you get me in the triangle there? Like, practice. <laughs> yeah, no. And then and then you have the, I guess another layer to it is the subconscious and the conscious in a way, right? So a lot of the things you probably see a lot of athletes who do amazing stuff when they fight, and then. You go to them and you ask, hey, can you show me this move? And then when they explain it, they don't necessarily know what they're actually doing. They're just like what they think they're doing in a sense, mm. right? And so uh, I think when one thing is when your body learns the technique and the move or uh, however you kind of obtained the, the knowledge itself in your body. But another thing is to actually learn to explain it and mm. you kind of like see the details that you do so that you can explain it for other people right mm. and so i think teaching is a big part of actually learning yourself because suddenly you have to give this uh piece of information to somebody else and then it's uh, how can you make this transition as seamless as possible you know uh, and that's that's the art itself right Mm. Now, dude, the art of expl explanation, <laughs> or what's it? I mean, I had a fucking pun there, but I went and forgot it. Oh well. yeah, <laughs> don't worry, <laughs> well, it'll come if, up. If I if I forgot it, it couldn't have been that funny. Oh uh. <laughs> uh, man, uh, well, well, do you remember uh, your first competition, man? Or was that the Gutenberg Open we just mentioned? Or was, was oh that, no, no, that, that uh, was your first. That's when you were catching to Trika Plata. Yeah, uh, oh. uh, my first competition was in uh, 2011 uh, when. I had competed for no. I had uh, sorry. I had trained for uh, perhaps once, one or two months, I think, something like that. And, and uh, it wasn't such a good experience, to be honest. Like I went in, pulled guard, got armbarred. Uh, so the guy just jumped over my guard and went straight from the armbar. Yeah, uh, man. When you said you got you pulled guard and got armbarred, I was I yeah. Looked, no, you, you saw the confusion in my face. I'm like, you're skipping you're skipping parts of the story. Here. No, no, for sure. Like, 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 what happened is I pulled guard. My arm was stretched out like this, you know, grabbing his collar, yeah. and then the guy just jumped on it, you know. Fuck and it. so, uh, so it was a very short, uh, short-lived. <laughs> moment there but but uh, uh in a sense i think perhaps even motivated me more to come back and do it again you know mm. uh even though it was just my first experience with it it was a very important experience and to say the least like the guy that i met the guy who armbarred me is a guy that i met uh numerous times throughout the uh, belts uh, up to even brown belt you know and so, uh, you know, like just creating these rivalries or the bonds that you have already from that uh, that day and so on, on forth is pretty, pretty cool. Shaman, uh, I can't say much. I got disqualified in my first ever match. Oh, no. <laughs> what did you do? Okay. So, like, uh, I pulled, like, a shit, shitty fucking garage, ran past, it got mount, like, but, like, I managed to get a bit of space and, like, turn over to, like, a turtle, but your man had his hooks in. But he didn't have a seatbelt as good. His seatbelt was shit. So I just kind of yanked him, postured up, turned him around, and like put him on his back. So I was in his closed guard. But it was like with a bit of oomph, because I think I postured up, turned him, and put him down a bit too quick. Yeah. A bit too fast. Sorry, a bit too fast. And the ref said I slammed him. I'm like, 
I, I, I've shown that video to everyone. I've shown it to a guy who frequently competition, like refs for the IBGF, and he's like, yeah. And you know how pedantic those guys are, the IBGF. He <laughs> wouldn't have called that a slam. I'm yeah. like... Oh, but it can be hard to, to, I think, for a lot of referees, like who are, especially local events, you have new referees. And, and you know, there's there's rules, but there's there's always, like, the gray areas in the rules where you can't really... You know, it's up to the referee, basically, in the mm. end. Uh, see, I, I just don't like that you can't argue with them, that they won't listen to. So, like, you can literally, you can literally plead a sort of well-constructed logistical arguments that's based on fact, and it could just be like, oh, no, fuck you. I say it's a slam, so go fuck yourself. <laughs> but it, in a way, I, I like, it's to protect the referees. So mm. the, the rules, uh, I think, the, especially because you have you have very influenceable, like, uh, I should not, that's the wrong way of putting it. You have coaches who are have a big influence on mm. uh, generally just, like, being famous and have like a huge name or something like that, you know? And when, you, if you think about it, when people are going to complain about what the referee says, uh, left or right or whatever, um, they will have a big say when that things like that happen, you know? And so if you, if you cut it out completely, it will be less likely to be uh, any biases. Mm. And so, uh, I, I can see why they put the rule to to uh, if you complain or if you say anything to the referee, the referee is actually has the right to give a penalty because you're not supposed to say anything to the referee. Mm. But, I, I would have taken a penalty, no matter. Even the guy I slammed is like, yeah, that that didn't hurt at all, ref. <laughs> and, 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 there's a, and there's a difference between like like I feel you know people who jump close guard, for example. Uh, and the guy on top or the guy standing doesn't necessarily always have the balance to stay standing. And mm. so sometimes he will, you know, fall and it looks like a slam. But in a way, it's not a slam because the guy was falling. Don't get me started on fucking jumping clothes guard. I saw this girl get her shin snapped in half because you want jumping clothes guard on her. I'm like, what and the fuck? That's why white belts are not allowed to, to jump close guard in it. Uh, these, these two <laughs> chicks are blue belts and then the fucking screams of, of agony and torment were just horrible like Jesus Christ I saw her leg dangling off the stretcher like fuck me that's that's disgusting I've never really? seen even in all my fucking I've seen leg locks heel hooks and all that bullshit I've never once seen an engine like that like that's that's horrible horrible <laughs> yeah. oh man what would you, what's your, is your like uh, speaking of competition what's your like uh, preferred rule set oh I'm I'm not really <laughs> Oh, sorry. Just uh, my dog here. <laughs> I don't know what's happening, but okay, yeah. Uh, no preferred rule set. Um, so uh, I I feel like the different rule sets give me different aspects of the sport, in a sense, right? Like for different kind of situations, different rule sets will be uh, the right thing. Uh, like, for example, I would never love, like, I would not like to have sub only at Europeans, for example, because I know you would have six matches and you would have to go perhaps 20, maybe 30 minutes with each one of them, you know, that would be terrible. That would be horrible. For, for like <laughs> you know? a tournament format, like sub only for tournament format, unless it has, a, unless it has a time limit. If it's like 10 minute matches, okay, fine. But if it's no time limits, like, how do you even do a tournament with no time limits sub only? That is, 
Same thing for super fights. Yeah. So 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 for example, you you we understand that they have different kind of like uh, situations where they should be applied, basically. And so uh, I think uh, in the end, I really love the fact that in jujitsu we have more than just one that's ruling uh, like the whole time. Uh, I do think like like ADCC. I feel like there's a lot of holes to the rules. There should be more. They 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 should update it a bit. I feel like they haven't updated it since forever, and so <laughs> I don't know if they think it's perfect. But I think the ADC should they should try to create some progress with the rules. But um, yeah, no, definitely I like most of them. I I, I do really like most of the rules. Mm, let's see what like since you brought up ADCC there like what sort of what sort of adjustments would you make to the ADCC rule set if like say say you were in charge uh no like for example um there's some rules about uh how if you're gonna sweep a person you have to be facing the guy so let's say if I'm in turtle right and I sweep you with uh, like the classical grabbing the arm and pull you over and I end mm. up in cycle drill that's not a sweep right but if I'm uh, looking up towards you and it's side control and I bump you over, it's a sweep. Um, and so, yeah, I know it's, it's like these funny things where you're basically kind of creating a scenario where people have to remove a few techniques because they're not going to be uh, good for, for this rule set. And then there's other ones that are going to be better, basically. Mm. And then there's the rule where you can shoot for somebody's legs and you can end up in turtle. And if you wait three seconds and then you sit back into uh, uh, like a guard position, it doesn't count as a guard pull. Uh. So uh, there's there's these a lot of holes in in the rule set that creates these uh, strategies, I would say, uh, for athletes. And so, um, but, but this is something that I I think people like me, uh, athletes, will always try to exploit the rules because that's just how the game is, basically. You know, mm. and and, and uh, like I, Jeff, I know if I if the guy rolls out out of bounds uh, when I have a submission, I will get two points, right? And if I see that we're we're ending up on the side of the mat and we're about to roll out, I will try to go for a hail mary toe hold just to get those two points, and then we reset back up, you know. And then, you know, it, it's it's kind of like those, um, you know, read read the rules so that you know how to use them to your advantage. Mm. No, I get you. See, man, uh, one thing I really love in jiu-jitsu is when people come over and visit and uh, give a give a give, give us a seminar. <laughs> got that in, uh, dude? Do you remember the first seminar you got to attend? Do you remember who it was with and what they taught? Oh man, uh, I don't really remember which one was the first. What? I mean, I mean, like. There's been so many. <laughs> I have to. I might have to go through my. Uh, how about this? Is there anyone that stands out to you in particular? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Like, like uh, we had a lot of good names. We had uh, uh, we had Sean Williams. We had we had uh, Annette Stack. She was there for a while, and we had uh, Keenan. We had Kyle Yuri noise we have had a lot of good names huh sorry well so yeah victor estima actually my mm. girlfriend is here 
making sure I'm mentioning enough names. Why does she uh, just hold hold up a a, a poster and say, yeah. "Oh, these are the names like a cue like a cue card"? <laughs> Wait, she has one more. Oh yeah, Tommy, Espen, Max, Elena. There's a lot of seminars to be honest. Like, I I I have no uh, I should say organized memory of all of them. <laughs> uh, guys, a really good one that I remember. I have, I have the, the picture up here on my wall. It's with uh, Adam Fordzinski. Oh, yeah, uh, I, I still use this fucking guillotine from Butterfly Garrity, Sean. Like, just with the, with the, arm, with the arm out and the crushing up motion to finish it is so good. Oh, yeah, yeah, Marcelo team. Those, that one is pretty sick. Uh, actually, to be honest, it's the same thing I, I learned from Adam Fordzinski in Royal Camp. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, what really made me uh, get it a lot more is was the was a little bit of a bump forward. So the guy posts on the floor and the head goes low, and that's when you can catch the head. And uh, that was such a huge like a uh, game changer for me. And so uh, gotta give props to Adam Brzezinski for teaching me that one. Mm. Like like uh, I, I knew about the guillotine, but I didn't know about the setup. And the setup really does the big deal there for me. Mm. Uh, and thanks to him. Uh, my half butterfly guard game is only it's only shit now instead of being non-existent i only i have stuff from half butterfly that i can't do because i suck but at least at least i know about it <laughs> gotta start somewhere you know like like somewhere. uh uh dude another great one at the same place was with uh lucas lechi with the coyote guard like jesus that's good especially coming up to dog fights and if they keep the wizard you get the fucking sort of hip switch sweep it, you just fucking you're fucking them for throwing on a wizard or you can just limp arm out and take the back it's fucking it's it's just pick your poison really <laughs> sure and and i mean like like it's i mean like the i i i've seen it i try to understand it but you know like uh one thing is like understanding and doing the thing but he does it all the time like like it's insane how much of his matches end in this half guard or end up somehow winning through this half guard and so uh, like he, he has a own half guard highlight and it's actually pretty long i think it's like 10 15 minutes long and uh and so most of the times when i teach coyote guard at at, at the gym or to the guys there i would always like hey by the way check his highlight just so you guys understand how good this can actually be. You know? <laughs> nah, I get you. Dude, it's valuable information, man. And, you know, see it in practice at the high level. Like, why wouldn't you want to go have looks at it? Oh, for sure. No, legit. Like, you know, I think if you want, like, I I'm obviously preaching to the choir here, but if you want to be good, you got to look at videos and you got to look at competition footage. You know, it's all well and good going and training and doing your own thing. But if you got to put the time in off the mat as well to have a look at stuff. I think it's just uh, as long as you're you're mentally active, uh, thinking about jiu-jitsu, you know, you're 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 making progress in some sort of way, basically. Mm. And yes. so, of course, like like, it's not like I can just sit in my couch and just watch videos, and that's making me better. But I think if you enjoy something uh, when you practice it, but you also enjoy it when you're studying it, you will really you will feel like kind of like a leap there because it's uh, it's about how you're processing a lot of information, but you're also doing it physically as much as you're doing it mentally. So, I mean, yeah. Mm. 
No, see, like I've seen it, I've seen plenty of people like you know, say they're out of training or they're injured or something, but they kept looking at videos and looking at technique videos and keeping their head in the game. So when they come came back, they weren't as bad as say if they didn't look at anything and their mind wasn't on jiu-jitsu at all. You know, but they still had the mental faculties there of all the jiu-jitsu shit. They were looking at videos, researching and studying stuff. So the tr- the sort of transition back into doing doing the training wasn't as, you know, sharp or deep or the learning curve wasn't as bad, you know, it's a bit easier to come back. Like I've noticed, that. I've seen people who didn't do anything. Then when they come back, they're shit or people when they did do stuff and they come back, you know, there's still hints and bits and pieces of how they were then back in the day. I don't know if I'm phrasing this as well. Good or anything. I don't know if I'm fra- I don't know if I'm phrasing this well, but you know, I, I think also like, like, um, once you've experienced that process where you're, your body is kind of out of the game and you just have to think about things or you have to kind of like work mentally, then I think you will also come back stronger in a sense that you know what to ask for, you know what uh, uh, information to look for when you have a problem or something that you need to solve, basically, you know, Um, because let's face it, most people will train and they will get into a lot of bad situations or they get tapped out in one or another submission. And then they go home and then that's it, you know, mm. whereas if you've been through the process where you know that there's there's always an answer out there somewhere, you know, and so and so uh, you go home and then you're not only like just forgetting about the training, but you're actually kind of like mentally processing the roles or the sparring or whatever. Mm. And then you're actually uh, looking up for the information or searching mm. it. And, you know, you know what to search for, because I think. The problem for a lot of beginners is, uh, you know, the difficulty about the names, the, the you know, it's how, how many people know the difference between, okay, half guard and knee shield guard, right? Oh, okay, yeah. what's the difference, you know? And and perhaps you never heard of knee shield guard, so, so you search only half guard, right? And so uh, I think for beginners, it's difficult to sometimes dive into that information pool. Mm. plus like we've all been there in this situation say you've gone to train and you got your ass kicked or nothing was working for you or you're driving home like white knuckling the steering wheel and you're not you're not listening to any music and you're just given a thousand yard stare and you're just all you're doing is thinking uh, about the fucking rolling that transpired we've all we've all been there once or twice so let's be real yeah sure but i think it's important to to like not take everything too seriously when it's training right and and, and you kind of like have to yeah you have to accept that there's going to be good days and bad days and sometimes you're going to have a bad day when somebody else has somebody else has a good day you know and mm-hmm. so uh it's yeah, it's definitely like like uh, a humbling experience, like most people say, just training jiu-jitsu every day. Mm. Ah, you know, Shaman, like, you need the bad days, you know, so you can appreciate the good ones. Like, you know, this older gent at the gym one time, like, I was having a bad month in general. Like, what's it? Uh, it was just before I was about to have my first competition at Blue Belt. I was like, you know, I was fucking paranoid and shit. I thought I was going to lose which i did whatever but i got over my bullshit because you know i was lo- i was getting my ass kicked the whole time in the gym and then uh, you know i got something to work one day this older gent i swept him and he was he's been around the block so he's been training for a while he's like see you know i was b- bitching to him about shit's not working for me he's like well that worked didn't it so if something's working when sh- everything's going bad you know you know if I, so you know that actually works so try do that more then i tried doing them sweeps more and i was got my shit together then you know <laughs> enough for sure i think and and uh, there's a lot of different ways to to approach 
let's say you have a student that's going to compete next month or something like that, right? And so, uh, um, I mean, it's important to have as much sparring experience and especially like having the same time and that you're, they're going to fight, maybe, maybe like make them a little bit aware of the point system, whatever. But when, the closer you get to the match, you kind of have to make, like uh, they have to build their confidence to some degree up because when they step on that mat, if they're doing stuff 10% and not doing it 100%, it's not going to come out right. It's it's just going to be, uh, you know, like small movements where, oh, no, I didn't do that one either way, you know. And mm-hmm. so I think it's um, it's important that they have the confidence in themselves and the techniques that they love and do most of the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Uh, here's a great question. I've only added this one in recently. So you're like yeah. the, fourth, the fourth or fifth person to answer this question. Okay. Uh, is there anything in the BJJ community that you don't like or you just really fucking hate and you would change if you could? Uh, I would change um, how people don't really mind athletes using uh, like um, performance enhancing drugs. Like there's not enough I should say there's not enough penalty to it in a sense right mm. because people get caught all the time and the sponsors stick to them the fans stick to them uh you know like there, there's so many supporting layers that don't really care sorry by the way that's my daughter that's uh, <laughs> back here <laughs> She, she seems to be slightly hangry or something like that. Maybe, but, maybe she maybe she just hates podcasts. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know. <laughs> we will find out later. But um, and so I feel like uh, from the community perspective, we should be better at kind of like not applauding this kind of behavior and creating more healthy uh, sports, uh, how should I say, environment. Uh, and it does really, like, it's, it, there's no point in, like, how should I say, there's a lot of organizers that are, like, fight, uh, let's say, one week the guy is uh, getting caught in one organization, and then the next week he's like, oh, yeah, no, but I'm just going to fight ADCC and all the other organizations instead, you know? <laughs> But everyone, know, like, like you're standing there like, oh, dude, by the way, like, last week, though, you know? Yeah, like, uh, I'm not going to name names or anything because I don't want to start any bullshit. There was oh. a certain athlete who was given, like, a month's notice that they'd be getting a drug test. They got caught out anyway, and they were banned from a certain federation for, like, a year. But they were still competing at every other fucking major organization for the past year anyway. So, okay, that's some punishment, you know? You know, and then, and then, of course, you could always argue, like, is one year enough, right? There's, there's always those. Uh, <laughs> that's enough. That's enough time for him to get off the fucking cycle. <laughs> In a way, right? And then you could also argue about what the long-term effects are, right? Because the fact is, whether or not he stops, he will still have the advantages uh, to some degree, mm. right? And so, uh, like, it's, it's. Uh, yeah, no, it's something that we need to deal with later, uh, like at some point, because if our sport wants to evolve and develop, perhaps even go to Olympic Games, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if I want that to happen. 
But, nah, I, I, I think that's. A, I don't think that's a great idea. But for it to be accepted as a legit sport uh, in the big world, I think we have to kind of get to that point where, I know, like, like either way, you're of course you can you can make a division for uh, drugged up athletes, and then you can make a division for clean athletes. But then at least you're making two separate classes, you know. Mm. But it's it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's a huge discussion there for sure. Mm. Oh, man, that makes a lot of sense. I don't think it'd be a great idea for jiu-jitsu to go into the Olympics because then it might go the way of judo. Like, there's a bunch of uh, techniques that are banned in judo because of like, not necessarily because of the Olympic Commission, but even before that. But there are certain like double legs. Come on, you should be allowed to do a fucking double leg in judo or a single leg or whatever. In a way, I I can understand that they they had the wrestling already in Olympics, right? And so they wanted something different and they wanted something spectacular. So the higher the throw, the more like you know cooler it looks mm. and so it, it's just gone to the point that so many judo academies won't even teach their students a double leg or anything like that so there's there's, there's moves being lost because that, of petty fucking rules that's the problem right and so when yeah. one one rule set is dominating the sport you lose aspects of the sport and so that's why i love the fact that jiu-jitsu has so many different aspects or different rule sets because mm. you in one way because we have so many, we maintain this wholesomeness in a sense, mm. right? Yeah. So if you want a fucking heel hooks, if you want to do heel hooks, go to this comp. If you don't, go to this one. If you want fucking jumpy flying scissor Connie Basami bullshit, go to this one. If you don't, if you want, if you're a normal person who loves having knees and ankles, go to this one. Yeah. Go yeah. crazy. And so, and so, I think it's it's uh, very cool that we have this. Uh, this view of it on it right and also like the fact that um, we have so many master divisions we have so many different belt divisions and so it's all ages all levels kind of approach and and uh, you know like of course we have the rules to some degree where okay the higher belt you are the more submissions you can kind of use and all of that and it's to protect the athletes most of the time you can complain all you want but it's just there to protect the athletes in the end mm. right Mm. Now, see, I think the the submissions for each belt level, if we're going for IBJF, they're reasonable for the most part, except for like one major. I only really have one complaint. Yeah. Okay, blue to purple. There's no new submissions added. The fucking the matches are longer, and uh, but there's no new submissions. Like in my opinion, there should be at least knee bars. If you just added knee bars to purple belt, I'd be happy. You know. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not, I'm not saying this like because I'm a purple belt and I want to do knee bars. I'm a blue belt who likes knee bars anyway. But that's besides the point. You know, I'll take okay, just straight ankle locks and shit. Whatever, fine. I don't give a shit. Sure, every submission win I have is by straight ankle lock because that's the only thing I'm actually good at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, 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 do you think that's reasonable? Having keep everything the same, it's just at, at knee bars the purple belt divisions. Uh, I, I can see that one in one sense, but another one is that. Knee bar scenarios often come with a lot of rotation and a lot of, um, how should I say, uh, potentially reaping situations, right? And so um, I think, of course, the level is getting there. You know, as the as the sport evolves, I I believe like the brown belts are getting better, the the purple belts are getting better, and so on down to at least blue belts. Uh, and then blue belt is always going to be this huge, vast ocean of good blue belts and poor <laughs> blue belts who <laughs> just recently got it, you know. Uh, mm. But um, it's, 
it's uh, I mean, I've seen uh, a lot of especially like more like how should I say invitational events where they have purple belts. They've said yes to knee bars and toe holds for purple belts as well. And in those occasions, it has gone perfectly well. But again, those are high level purple belts in a sense. Uh, I think if you put perhaps people who don't know what they're doing or don't know the limit of their limbs, you know, or something like mm. that, and perhaps they rotate the wrong way or something like that, perhaps it could uh, end up in injury, you know? Mm. But how, about, uh, how about this proviso? How about just like, you know, I, I, I sort of floated this idea to like a group one time, a Facebook group, and they're like, oh, us older gens don't want to get knee barred. How about just the adult division of purple belts have knee bars? That could that, be better. That's, you know, because then the older gents can still do their non-knee barring, like like a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> and uh, the, all the guys up there, okay, but once you get your brown belt, you're going to get knee barred the fuck, but okay, that's on you. <laughs> no, no, for sure. And I think, like, if you can spread out the techniques uh, through the belts, right, so that the transition from purple to brown isn't as big as it is now, for example, uh, that would probably be good because let's say you already went through the knee bar phase. And so the only thing that you have to think about is uh, toe hold and, and like, like, so you have, yeah, you basically just don't have that huge transition where suddenly you have to be super aware of your legs uh, when you get the brown belt right, mm. I guess. Ah, well, uh, but then, then there's toe holds and let's not even talk about that. <laughs> oh man, uh, Tarek, uh, we've gotten onto the coaching section here. Man, what would you say is the first technique you would teach a beginner's class? Like say it's just day one, what's the first sort of lesson, technique, concept you'd instill in, instill in them? Uh, I I, I kind of like, I don't have a, like, how should I say, straight line or, or uh, like, definite answer for that one because I kind of do differently sometimes uh, but it's usually my go-to to teach Kimura uh, from closed guard which is pretty basic but I also like to teach uh, uh, let's say just guard situations like how how to keep your legs onto the, the guy uh, when you're on the bottom and so I, I like to put a lot of games into it in a way like for example the guy is trying to touch your head and you're trying to Keep distance with your legs, and uh, and so it becomes this fun game where, uh, especially beginners, they all they need to think about is just creating this distance between uh, them and their partner. And and uh, I believe if you can teach through a lot of games and and uh, more practical situations, they will get hooked a little bit faster to jujitsu and not get all this theoretical overload that mm. perhaps that's what they feel overwhelmed by in the beginning, right? Mm. Now, plus, I think that'll make their understanding better. It's just like, oh, yeah, keep them away with the legs. That's yeah, a guard. Yeah. Everyone, that's that's just, you know, because so say, and I say they've been training a few years and they're getting really fucking hammered in a role or in a match and they're playing fucking butterfly guard or supine and they're just on their back. It'll just come back to keep them keep them away with your legs. It'll that, That'll be instilled with them from the start. Unless they're playing on top, in which case they're fucked. They'll be confused. <laughs> All I know how to do is play guard. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, no, and, and 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 like the the idea that the guy on top can kind of like uh, fake to the left, fake to the right, and then try to walk around the legs. You know, it gives a, a different element to later on as well because people then learn that oh, I can pass to both sides. You know, and 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 try to combine uh, different passes. 
but I mean, yeah. Mm. Uh, man, see, a really good uh, sort of style that I was looking at recently. I was watching the video, it was called um, A Filthy Casual's Guide to Marcelo Garcia. You know the video, it's a really good one. It's like uh, pure analytical. Like, uh, I don't know if you've seen, I'll send you later, but like. Uh, yeah, send me, send me, please. Yeah, it's really, it's really good. But like uh, he's he mentioned that Marcelo would do low passes to his left and high passes to his right. So I'm like, that makes a lot of fucking sense because it sort of goes past the whole dilemma of oh, okay, because it, it's kind of hard to be good at low passes on the left and high passes on the left and low passes on the right and high passes on the right. But if you're just good at low passes on the left and high passes on the right, you're good at high passes and low passes, and you're good at passing both directions. So I'm like, shit, that makes a lot of sense. You can put time into both, and you won't be shit. You know, at just four things, you'll be good at two things, and that'll be grand for sure. I think like Marcel Garcia has always been the guy to to talk about. Uh, like, you should have different techniques for each side, but you should you don't necessarily have to learn the same technique on both sides. And so, uh, I I agree totally towards competition and towards specializing. You should always try to like find those moves that fit your left and find those moves that fit your right, but. Let's say in this scenario, like you're in the pandemic and you want to learn techniques and you're just trying to, uh, to just take in information and you're trying to get more coordinated uh, when you're training and rolling, basically. Uh, that's when I think it's better to train both sides of a technique because you will kind of be able to see the same situations on both sides. Of course, perhaps one more than the, than the other, but you're kind of like developing your brain power to uh, kind of like take in uh, positions and situations better mm. whereas uh, the other one is of course much much better for uh, competition and practical use mm. now that makes a lot of sense man see uh say your coaching style man what would you prioritize most would it be drilling rolling or specific sparring like say intermediate and advanced level like we're, we're done talking about the beginners for sec this is more for intermediate advanced guys Oh yeah, no, like definitely, um, you know, like drilling, but with resistance, you know. Yeah, exactly. And then it's it's uh, not necessarily like one technique. I think what I like to do a lot with a little bit of higher level guys is I say, okay, you're gonna do a sweep and pass, basically. So you're on bottom, you're gonna sweep the guy, you're gonna pass him, right? And so it doesn't matter what sweep, it doesn't matter what pass, but you're going to have to find uh, things that you like and that you find that you can combine. And that's going to create that sequence, right? And same thing you can do with, let's say, takedowns, takedown and pass, or let's say, uh, pull guard sweep and then pass, for example, mm -hmm. you know, or, or pull guard and submission, you know, like trying to not necessarily like have those small chunks of one technique but trying to see more of a, a whole game or whole uh, fight perspective mm. Mm. no so, that makes sense so that's more of my idea there uh of course if it's very competition specific uh i want the guys to be aware of the points and more uh, and so uh, you can have positional sparring uh, but with points set in mind you know where uh, the guy on the bottom is, for example, uh, losing by two points or losing by an advantage. And how will you solve this situation so that you end up winning this match uh, in two minutes? You know, like like those kind of scenarios is important for competitors. But mm. for other 
practitioners uh, is like useless basically <laughs> <laughs> i i would argue it's still fucking valuable to know that's still a good you know you'd still get a lot of training if you're aware of the points and shit like you know not to mention you'll be aware of getting out of bad positions it's beneficial both ways in my opinion but you know it's more beneficial for com- competitors and stuff yeah because one thing you will you will meet in competition that you're not going to meet probably in training is uh, if the guy on top is leading, for example, with two points, is he really going to try to engage with everything he has when there's one minute on the clock? Nah, he'll probably just stall. So, right. So, so try to get those situations to happen also in the gym so that when you get there in competition, you're prepared for a person that doesn't want to engage, a person that's just basically maybe fighting, you know, so that the referee doesn't give him a penalty. Mm. No, that makes sense, man. Oh, dude, we got a, a real brain teaser here. Whenever I ask people this, they're like, oh, shit, that's good. Okay. Uh, man, what would you say is the most important value that's been instilled in uh, your gym environment? Oh, most important value. Um, I mean, oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's like, I think it's, very positive kind of environment like the value of of uh, sharing and and uh helping each other to improve mm. because in long term you will get the benefits back from it mm. so so like like when you help people around you you raise the roof higher for yourself as well and that's uh, that's something i feel like something that's always been there uh, at our gym Mm. now guys and that's why this message is brought to you by adopt white belt foundation <laughs> now legit guys take a white belt under your wing and eventually you have a fucking either a good white belt or a blue belt that'll be helping other people out when they start it's and you'll have a good person to train with eventually so win-win yeah like there's no real downsides really you know it'll be an annoying for little bits because you're still trying to teach them shit but you know it'll pay off eventually so you know it'll all work out definitely <laughs> Mm. Uh, so it's it's important to to uh to see the long-term effects of it for sure mm. well not to mean not to mention it's just a nice thing to do like you know even if you want to get over the whole uh oh uh he'll be useful to train with eventually or i'll be making a better training partner i'm gonna make everyone in the gym better it's just a nice thing to do to be a good training partner to someone and not be an asshole you know. but this this is also something that we look at for uh, graduation as well. Like when, let's say, when people get their blue belt and and they've been a blue belt for two years, you know, and they're starting to close up on the purple belt. And so uh, for us, when we say when we see the purple belt starting to take the responsibility and you know taking care of the people around them, you know, um, making sure that people are being welcomed when they come in, you know, all those small things they do really matter because it's what creates the environment and it's what it makes us better, you know, as we go. And so uh, I think those are very highly, I should say, appreciated when, when uh, Teta was thinking about giving people belts and, and other of the black belts as well. When they, when they think about graduating people, they also think about this aspect of it, not necessarily only your knowledge and, and competition results. Mm. now that makes sense because you want someone who's like a good member of the team as well because whatever if they're a good competition or they're good enrolling or they know a lot but if they're a fucking asshole like fuck them 
yeah you know like you you will have those guys that come into the gym and they're just they're just there to train themselves and not to train others you know you will have for example a guy who will do uh 10 repetitions of a technique you know and then you get maybe two and then he's like yeah okay we're done basically or something or for example <laughs> example or, or or let's say the guy is is uh asking a lot of questions but he never helps anyone else you know like there's a there's a very nice give and take relationship to all of this 100 percent, man that makes a lot of sense bro and guys we've reached a segment of the podcast i like to call a round of specifics just a bunch of random questions some about jiu-jitsu some aren't about jiu-jitsu so Tariq, do you want to play a round of specifics oh yeah let's do it man one time someone's gonna say no to that question and i'll have no no way to respond <laughs> uh man what would you say is uh, your favorite gi in your collection if you have one Oh, my favorite gi in my collection. Uh, it's a travel gi by uh, Real Scare. Uh, it's super light <laughs> and it's, it, it can be packed very compact. So uh, uh, this is my favorite because basically you can wash it and dry it uh, in less than four hours. And I mean, like there's, there's so many benefits to having a skinny gi or how should I say it, uh, thin gi. Mm. But it's uh, on the other side, it's not as sturdy and as robust as uh, the the heavier duty geese, right? But it's definitely something that I love to bring along whenever I'm traveling or going somewhere. Like I can bring three, four of those, you know, and then it's easier for me to uh, to train and just uh, mm. go yeah. I say that. Man, that's pretty handy because, like, even like me, I'd go to other gyms the whole time before jiu-jitsu was illegal. I'd go to gyms the whole time, and even though I'd fold my geese up really compact and shit, like, I'd only like it was a struggle to bring anything else with me because I'd have three or four geese in the bag and have no space or anything else. I'm like, well, it looks like uh, I'll be wearing a gi on the bus now, so that's awesome. I <laughs> I look pretty silly, uh, guys. Uh, yeah. But what if, what if someone attacks me? Jiu-jitsu doesn't work on the streets, so like I'd be kind of fucked. <laughs> Not to mention, I'm wearing a gi and there'll be a no gi, so that's that's not fair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, man, uh, do you have any um, movies that you describe as underrated that you like, but like no one else really does? Oh, movies that I find underrated. Um... Oh, yeah, she's making some noise here. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, like, there, there's a couple of movies that I like because uh, I, I mean, there is not really well known, but they're they're pretty cultishly known. Um, Old Boy, for example, is a pretty sick movie. Ooh, is that the one with the hammer and the corridor? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You've guys, seen that. Probably. We were just talking about that. Uh, we had two episodes ago. The martial martial arts movies. We we're talking about martial arts movies. That one came up a lot because oh, yeah. lots of people on Facebook said that was a good one. I'm like, well, that is a, that is a sick one, and and like there's a plot twist there that's that's incredible and and of course don't watch the american one we'll make sure to watch the japanese one that's a, mm. that's a good one i think that's pretty good advice all around if there's an adap multiple adaptations just to watch <laughs> don't, just don't watch the american one yeah yeah there you go not, not shitting on the american listeners i love you guys and all the american people i've had on really cool dudes but your adaptations of japanese stuff is fucking shit i'm sorry i'm sorry uh yeah it's not good <laughs> <laughs> Man, uh, what was your favorite TV show when you were growing up? Favorite TV show? Uh, I mean, I've watched a lot of stuff, though. I watched, uh, I did like cartoons as well. But I also watched, uh, like, when it came to TV shows, I watched, like, Malcolm in the Middle. 
Oh, dude, that was that was so good. Oh my god, I love that show so much. I watched. I mean, yeah, like I I can't really remember anything significant, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, dude, did you ever see uh, like the the alternate ending to Breaking Bad, where it's just a dream and it's Hal from Malcolm in the Middle waking up after a dream? No. <laughs> that, that was like a joke ending that they made that it was yeah. that it was all just him dreaming oh yeah crazy <laughs> wow uh, that'd be awesome all right um what you say is the most embarrassing injury you've ever had would it be a jiu-jitsu injury or a non-jiu-jitsu injury just the way you got injured was so fucking ridiculous i would say my dislocation of my shoulder because um i got it when i was jumping uh, eight meters into some water <laughs> And it's like, you know, like you try to be ninja or something like that. <laughs> I was I was with my arms above my head, reaching back like this. And turns out you if you do this with your shoulder and you land in the water, you're very exposed to dislocation. So um <laughs> When did you do that? Were you like a young fella? Yeah, it was it's a it's a couple of years ago for sure. And then yeah. it bothered me for like a year. My shoulder wasn't like completely good until like a year after. So uh, it's it's a good bit of irony that you're a shoulder lock wizard now because of that. You see, <laughs> I had to sacrifice something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hurt my knee way before I started jiu-jitsu, and now I like knee bars, so maybe that's why. <laughs> uh, dude, uh, what was your first video game console? What was your favorite game in it? PlayStation. Well, I did have. No, I borrowed the PlayStation 1 because it wasn't technically mine. But I had a PlayStation 2, uh, which was mine. And, and uh, I think I played... Oh, there's, there's two games mainly that I played. Uh, Tawny Hawk uh, Pro Skater 4 uh, and uh, Ratchet and Clank. That was the two games that I, I, I spent a lot. Oh, dude, if you get a, a PS4, they've remade Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 on that and they have a bunch of ratchet and clank games i mean the ps4 is doing is pretty good lately but don't get a ps5 they're too expensive and there's no games <laughs> dude never uh, get a con never get a console launch here i learned that and uh once and i'll never forget it yeah no it's uh, i i don't know what kind of scheme they're going with with that one but it's it's insane how much people are willing to spend on it well to be fair a lot of the people who are selling them bought them and are selling them at higher prices, so they're just scalping people, you yeah, know. Yeah, I do. It's like these people who are who are, who who bought Keenan Cornelius's geese off uh, eBay because Keenan was selling his geese, and they're probably just going to sell them later. Oh, this mm. is a gi that belonged to Keenan Cornelius. I'm like, okay, cool. It won't make you better jujitsu. Who buys that kind of stuff? I'm just wondering, like, who buys? I just, like, I don't I, know, man. <laughs> I've never understood that. Like, to be honest. Like, like I, I, I can understand like if if I, let's say I win worlds with a gi and it looks really nice or whatever, and 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 uh, I can frame it in or something like that and put it at my academy or like something like that. That would be yeah, yeah. Like if if it's so special to you, you'd keep it, but sell it and then like yeah, slightly used by the way, you know. <laughs> uh, and like okay, what's the thing? Unless they buy it and they frame it, because. That's cool, I guess. Okay, fine. But if they wear it, fine. Okay, but it's not going to make you any better at jiu-jitsu. If I wear Keenan Cornelius's jockstrap, that's not going to make me good at jiu-jitsu. Uh, 
I, I feel like this sort of falls into, you know, those uh, people who buy used panties and socks and stuff like that. Mm. Oh, yeah. dude, there's, we're, that, we're that, you know, there's actually a market of like, uh, they sell UFC memorabilia, of some, they sell someone's gloves or shorts and shit. And a lot of the female fighter stuff gets bought really quickly, I must say. Their bloodstained bras and their, their bloodstained shorts. No, no comments. Uh, but yeah, so so I think there's definitely a market there somewhere. But uh, <laughs> you know, like probably you you can do it for a good good like cause. You can you can say like the, all the profit goes to a good organization or something like that. Yeah, like you can make money off perverts as long as you give the money to to a noble cause. It's all good. Yeah, or or not. You know, like it doesn't matter because it doesn't hurt anyone in the end, right? As long as it's it's just clothes. <laughs> oh man have you ever been on like a really terrible date in your younger years and if it's with uh, the, your missus that's there you could say no if she's like looking at you there it's like oh no no uh, <laughs> that's the funny part we made it never dated actually we just met each other and then kind of like slowly but surely we got interested in each other um but uh yeah i've been to some awkward dates for sure Earlier in my days, um, I have to think which one was really awkward. Uh, I think, yeah, there was this. Uh, so, so uh, a while back when I was on Tinder and I would send brought a lot of random, how should I say, icebreakers to mm. all these girls, right? And and it, it was a it was a lot of bad ones, like really really bad ones. You know, I would do it just to get the fun out of it you know like like yeah basically yeah. trash and so the problem is you go on a tinder date and and i, I did and and uh, i met this girl and then suddenly she starts bringing up uh talking about her friend and i was like yeah no i, I don't know who this friend is oh yeah you do uh, you sent her a message on tinder as well <laughs> and i don't remember what i sent to her <laughs> clearly <laughs> i said something really bad <laughs> because <laughs> her face was like super red and just like it, it was so awkward at that point and let's just say it didn't any nothing more happened that day it was just bye never see you again and uh, yeah that was the end <laughs> oh my god that is so fucking funny oh man <clears throat> dude uh, do you have any nicknames inside the gym I don't like uh, to myself, right? Yeah, yeah, for you. Uh, I don't have much of a nickname these days. Like uh, one of the guys or or the black belt here in Bergen, Feeble calls me uh, ch my child or child all the time, <laughs> which I feel like at this point maybe I'm I'm kind of like growing out of that that name. But uh, uh, other than that, I did have Boohoo. At uh, purple, no, uh, blue belt it was uh, so boohoo is translates to donkey, and so <laughs> I was very stubborn back in the day. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, boohoo for you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so and so uh i would go for darces all the time right or i would like i was very stubborn on certain submissions but not only in competition but also in training and so uh teta would always shout you know like uh, <laughs> now stop being a <laughs> stubborn donkey you know 
and, and uh, for some reason it sticked for a while. Uh, it was uh, kind of funny, but uh, yeah, eventually it fell off, and mm. uh, that was it. Uh, it's good to see that nickname wasn't as stubborn as you were. Or else it just would have stuck around forever. Oh, yeah, for sure. Nah. Ah, luckily it didn't, I guess. Oh, Amen. <laughs> if you could time travel to any historical period, where would you go and why? Ooh, damn. Uh, oh, that's a rough one. I would either choose the Roman Empire or I would choose, like... Uh, like uh, Japanese um, Edo period, I think it's called. Like mm. the samurais and all of that. One of those two. I think it's a rough. I, I can't really choose uh, each one, but but, but uh, oh yeah, those are kind of like the the the, the good ones. I would. Nah, that's a good choice, man. Uh, dude, in your professional opinion, do you think you could pull off a handlebar mustache? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like at all. Like, like I, I, uh, I shaved myself yesterday, and to be honest, like, like my beard growth is so sparse. It's, it's mostly here. Like, I get stuff here, but I, I, I struggle to get anything above my my chin here. Like, oh. I have, I have a slightly like like bad puber like pubic looking mustache at times but... uh, dude like it's impossible like i can't grow you know like the middle section here oh, i yeah. never get i never get any hair there so whenever i do i just call that the reverse hitler because i don't have <laughs> i have hair here but not here the reverse hitler uh yeah no that that makes sense that makes well, sense what that means i like jews yeah no so you're <laughs> on the safe side you're on the safe side <laughs> oh, I always say that to people that it's always so funny. <laughs> I love fucking people like that. <clears throat> yeah, we got a bit of a moral conundrum here. Oh. If you uh, would you rather cure cancer or solve world hunger? Oh damn! Uh, I think I would solve world hunger, mm. to say the least, because uh, in a way, like we're coming pretty far with cancer as it is now like uh, and and i mean like people uh, of course it's sad that they have to go but at the same time you know like most people get to live some of their lives uh before it happens of course i'm not talking about the children who get the cancer that's sad too as well but uh, world hunger is kind of like it should be easier to solve and it should like it should have been solved for a long time ago but mm. You know, it's and it's it's something I feel like it's uh, it should have been done. So get it away with it, and then yeah, and then we could eventually go on to the next problem. Besides, who knows? I always say this when everyone picks the world hunger. Maybe one of the hungry kids you uh, help will cure cancer in the future. For example, there you go. You know, who knows? You might get two for one then. So it's like you're like, haha, that's the that's what I do. Yeah, you play the game. Oh, what's it called? Man, uh, what would you say is your jiu-jitsu spirit animal if you have one? Like, what sort of animal encapsulates your whole game? Spirit animal. It's not the donkey, is it? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Um, you know, uh, but that's just because of the size difference. So I used to, when I trained with my girlfriend, she would always call me an elephant. Or baby elephant, apparently. Because you, you never forget? Yeah, or because I'm heavy. Apparently, but I'm not that heavy. I'm just 86, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not that clumsy. 
Oh, okay. Apparently, I <laughs> fell on her knee. Yeah, sure. Uh, you shouldn't have been there in the first place. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, but I don't know. Perhaps uh, uh, it's, it's. I don't have a. I don't have a specific animal to be honest. Like, mm. uh, we'll just stick with baby elephants. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Do you ever see a baby? Uh, there's all these videos of baby elephants throwing temper tantrums, and it's the funniest thing ever. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you that. And uh, what else was I going to send you? I was going to send you fucking... Oh, yeah. Fil- uh, filthy filthy casuals. Yeah, to uh, Marcelo Garcia. Yeah, I remember that now. Okay, so we've reached the last question, Tarek. If you're ready for the last question. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> if you created a guard, doesn't matter what configuration of sleeve grip, collar grip, whatever, you don't, you don't have to get into the minutiae of that. But if you just created a guard, no matter what it looks like, what would you call it? Oh. Uh... If I created at this time and this, uh, how should I say, during the pandemic, uh, I would call it something like the the Corona Guard or Pandemic Guard or something like that, just for fun. <laughs> Some shorthands, like we call it the Rona in Ireland, the Rona, Rona yeah. Guard. There you go, the Rona Guard or something. Or, something. Like that. or, uh, <laughs> or I don't know, I'm trying to think of some shit, but like uh, uh, I've, I'd call it dipshit guard uh retard guard dumbass guard uh you know like like uh, most of these names uh eddie bravo has already taken them you know yeah he is dipshit guard no he has oh he has retard control that's uh, (laughs) well like crackhead control that's good i I like crackhead control (laughs) oh dude ah man i spent ages looking at rubber guard little then i find out i suck a rubber guard mike well, shit, this is very, very hard to do. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, that's the thing. I feel like rubber guard is a very hit or miss in one way because it's in one way, it's very narrowed to specific kind of uh, physical properties. And, and of course, you can develop, you can kind of like get that flexibility. You can you can be stronger in those positions. But uh, when I teach jujitsu, I try to teach so that I hit most people and not just few people. Uh, of course, like they have more to their, uh, like it's not talking about ten planet in like specific, but I I do know some people who have very specific games towards just rubber guard. Mm. Nah, man, I wish I was good at rubber guard. Like I have the dexterity in the legs. Like I'm pretty flexible with my legs and shit. Like my retention is okay, but like you know, just like trying to work from the rubber guard. Like I have no trouble getting it. That's grand. But then working from it, I'm like, yeah, well, shit. No, you're <laughs> definitely just working the the transitions between grabbing the leg with one arm and then to the other one you know all of that i think it's it's uh important to just drill with the resistance uh and trying to understand how to kind of like uh, seal the holes in the position because the moment you create too much space that's the moment he goes out basically mm. no that makes a lot of sense and i think we'll leave that there for today so guys Hope you really enjoyed. If you want to follow Tarek, it's at Tarek underscore BGJ and at Frontline Academy. Is that is that right? I'll have yeah. them all. The, I'll have them all in the description anyway, so you can just click the link. It'll all be good. So Tarek, do you have anything to say before we shoot off? Thank you so much for uh, having me on this podcast, first and foremost, and and uh, thank you to all the people watching the podcast. And uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, of course, thank you to my sponsors um, as well. And uh, yeah. Make sure to check out my YouTube channel if you want to see some more of my instructionals. And if you want to 
be a really nice person, you should check out my instructions on DJ Fanatics. And uh, yeah, there's more to come for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, can you give us a little, uh, before we go, a little teaser of what's to come? Like, I know you don't want to give away too much, but can you give oh, us a hint? Uh, a hint? I'm, I'm making, um, so I'm shooting a, a guard retention video uh, these days. And it's, uh, it's basically how to build your guard from scratch. Um, and <laughs> one metaphor I like to use is how people start off with like a little picket fence and then you have to build eventually up to a fortress. And so uh, <laughs> that's, that's, my a pretty, that's a pretty good analogy. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed. Okay, so guys, thanks for listening to the episode. Like I said, it was a really good one, in my opinion. That was a great one. I love chatting to shit with Turek. He's such a cool guy. We had a great conversation before and after. And guys, obviously check out his YouTube channel. It has amazing content all for free. And like I said, check out his instructionals. Both of them will be in the description and follow him, like I said before. And guys, if you have any suggestions for anyone you want on the podcast, shoot me a message on Instagram at Humans Jitsu at Humans Jitsu Podcast. Check out the co-hosts, my boys Sean and Con at Sean Judo Jits and at Con Gracie. So guys, with that said, I'm gonna leave you. See you in the next one and adios.